This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. I'm very excited about the forthcoming episode as we are talking about physical education and I get to discuss with the fellow ScienceComs podcaster. As our guest is the host of podcast called Playing with Research in Health and PE. Our guest has done his bachelor and master's in California State University in kinesiology with emphasis on sports psychology and has done his Doctor of Education at Columbia University. Currently, he's working as an assistant professor at the George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia, US. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to introduce our guest, Dr. Risto Martin. Welcome, Risto. Thanks, Oli. And and thanks for pronouncing my name exactly like a good good Finnish person that pronounces a Finnish name. So, um I, I'm super happy to be here. Um, I've been listening to some of your episodes throughout, and we've had some great people in um, in exercise physiology, exercise science on on the podcast. So good job on the on your podcast. Yeah, thanks. Actually, pronouncing Finnish names when you are speaking English, it's it's not so easy to pronounce them even correctly for for a Finn. But um, if we start with your personal and professional background could you tell how did you get to this point yeah um i talk to my students a lot about this actually and kind of try to explain to them that um you don't have to have a linear pathway to get where you're going and i certainly didn't um i wrestled in college um at cal state bulletin i you know knew a hundred percent sure when i got into college that i was going to be a, a physical education teacher And then went to observe some physical education classes and started my major and realized that I wanted to be in the classroom. And so I actually changed my major to health science and then got an opportunity to coach um, at the university level and got a, a master's degree. Then figured the focus should be somewhere in sports. So I uh, focused on sports psychology, which I was really, really interested in. And kind of one thing led to another, and and I ended up uh, getting a doctorate degree in um, curriculum and teaching and physical education at at Teachers College at Columbia University. So um, I I was kind of always going back and forth, but I realized that I love being in the college classroom. I felt like that's where I could have a greater and stronger impact um, by teaching future teachers. Um, so I got into teaching at the elementary school level. I taught in uh, Central Harlem at a um, community school, teaching kindergarten to third grade um, part time while I was getting my doctorate. And you know, as as I've done for 13 years throughout my university experience, I always worked in restaurants to pay the bills. And um, but yeah, so kind of a circuitous route. I landed back at my alma mater and my in my first uh, tenure track position at Cal State Fullerton. Um, and so I spent three years there and then 
uh, have been at three years at George Mason now and just loving it. Yeah, so quite quite interesting that way to this point. And you said that you were wrestling yeah, when you yeah. were younger. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Greco-Roman or... Um, American collegiate wrestling. So it's kind of a mix between uh, Greco-Roman and freestyle. Um, I did compete in freestyle and Greco-Roman during the off seasons, but I started wrestling in in high school, much to my mom's chagrin. She uh, didn't really enjoy watching me go out there and get hurt, which right when I started wrestling, I was not very good. Um, but that kind of, I, I credit wrestling to be, you know, one of the major changes in my life. And a lot of the things that have happened to me, I can kind of trace back to, to that sport. And so I, I actually left high school, went back to Finland, did my military service and took that kind of, I guess people would call it a gap year. I, I don't know if I'd call it a gap year, but um, mm. I went back to Kelsey Fulton, walked on the wrestling team there and ended up coaching there for five years afterwards until they dropped the wrestling program in uh, 2011. Mm. So, so you said that it affected your life a lot. I think it's quite interesting. It's it's quite central wrestling in many many colleges in US. So it might be interesting to hear what what did you learn from from wrestling for your life. Well, I think I think the hard work aspect for sure. Um, you know, I don't think. I mean, wrestlers wrestlers are like a different breed of human being. You know, I think everybody can get into wrestling, but once you get into it, it it really does mold you if you can survive it. Um, so it's a lot about you know hard work, grit, determination, all of those um, I guess cliche things that you hear. But you know, most of my friends are wrestlers. You know, I my my like closest friends in and life are people who I wrestled with. Um, and, you know, I ended up taking time off after my senior year in college. I actually came back to Finland to wrestle in the Finnish national championships and, and, you know, thought that I could have one last push. And to be honest, like that, I mean, that was the last time I, I've competed when in 2006 and people always ask like, I, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu now and people are like, oh, are you going to compete again or you should go to this tournament? And I feel like my competitive juices are all gone. Like I put everything out there. I, I had a great time while I was competing, but I have very little interest in competition and my my kind of outlook in how I choose to be physically active I love doing jujitsu. I love going and doing combative sports, but the the idea of competition, like I, I have zero interest or I have a negative interest in competing anymore, which is, I guess, interesting in the fact that I competed for so long, but. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's very interesting that you, but in, in jujitsu, you anyway, kind of you sparring or rolling, basically every training so it's kind of competitive in in a way but not not an actual competition yeah and the and the gym that i mean not right now during covid but the gym that i train at i mean there are so many people that can 
you know, beat me up real bad. So there's no like lack of competition in the room. I know that it's not like I'm nowhere near the top of the food chain there. So when I go in that that's enough for my competition, it's personal competition. I don't need to like go through the the pressures of performing for other people, but I find so much like intrinsic motivation in being able to compete, which I mean, you know, like there are people that say like they play soccer and they're super competitive. Like I, I love playing soccer as well, but I don't think I get to a point where I'm super competitive out on the field, but I'm like internally, um, I get into that. Mm, yeah, I, I can, I can fully relate to, to your comment that how do you, how do you have good competition? I've been doing mixed martial arts, but I haven't been doing the grappling part probably mm-hmm. enough and and yeah always the jiu-jitsu guys it's <laughs> you you stay humble let's say it this way and if, what's funny about jiu-jitsu most of the time most people who i've met are so nice so welcoming they'll like beat you up and then just say hey man thank you so much i really appreciate that that was that was really fun and i'm like you know in other sports it would just be like such a different like i don't know if wrestling even is like that like wrestling if somebody comes into the room if there's like that culture in wrestling somebody comes in the room that's an outsider you try to show as much as you can and i guess i'm speaking from like a competitive college division one wrestling room like you would try to like make sure that they know that you're good whereas Mm -hmm. grappling is in the places that I've been to has been really humble and really nice and really helpful. Yeah, I, I full, fully agree with you. And I, I think even if somebody has has the black belt and, and the others don't, there's probably someone who's bigger brown belt and even the black belt is losing mm-hmm. sometimes. So everybody, but yeah, it's, it's a really, really nice environment. And I, I fully agree with you but maybe maybe we move from wrestling to our our topic in in physical education and and you said before that you could maybe want to talk about that physical education have become more like physical activity would you like to elaborate on that yeah i think you know there in and i'm i speak from the u.s point of view um the u.s has gone through in the you know 90s 2000s this huge research push in, you know, using physical education as a vehicle for public health. And they want to push moderate to vigorous physical activity. And, you know, this is demonstrated by different curriculum that have come out that, you know, were these huge, like federally funded grants that, you know, spark PE, things like that, that were focused on showing that if you follow this curriculum, you can guarantee that 50% of the time the students are in moderate to vigorous physical activity. So that kind of spun this idea of saying, you know, PE is this vehicle for public health. And if you want to stop obesity, you could do it through PE. If you want to, you know, increase the health of kids, you can do it through PE. So there was a big push for a while, and and I would say arguably still, that we focus so much on increasing physical activity. And you'll see a lot of teachers out there too when they talk about changing curriculum or you know bringing different things in social emotional learning or you know 
social justice or any other content into PE, a lot of people always say they're like, well, I need to get my kids active. This is the only time that they are active. And it's a, it's a hard balance to strike because they are partially, they are true. Like you need to get your students physically active because a lot of students don't have another space in their life to be physically active. But with PE and the limitations of PE, meaning we only have it a couple of days a week all across the world, there's very few places that have five days a week PE. We will never get to the minute requirement or the minute recommendations from in America, Shape America, or, you know, the WHO or the CDC or whoever is making these minute suggestions wherever you are in the world, PE will never make those physical activity requirements um, just in general because we just don't have enough time. So then the balance is, do we educate, do we provide, you know, meaningful experiences in PE instead of just focusing on well, we just got to get them moving as soon as they walk in the classroom. Mm, yeah, that's a good good point. How how do you see what is actually the education in physical education? Like, it's not just doing PA, but what should we educate people to do? Well, it's about teaching about and in and through movement. So, if you're looking at it, yeah, you can teach through movement, how your body moves, how you react to different situations, um, teaching skills, right? Teaching tumbling, teaching climbing, teaching throwing, catching. And, you know, in the U.S., Canada, a um, few other places, there's been this big push for physical literacy. And I think depending on what definition of physical literacy you would say, I would agree with it. And I would disagree with other parts that, you know, there's a notion of that a physically literate individual is, you know, you'll get to that when you graduate high school versus, you know, everybody has a certain degree of physical literacy and you keep on, um, you know, building that up. And I saw this uh, demonstration at a conference and I, I can't remember who demonstrated this, but it's this idea of having, like building up Lego blocks. Like if you have two Lego blocks and you give two Lego blocks to a kid and that's like jumping and hopping and those are the two Lego blocks, he he or she's not going to have a lot of fun, right? But if you add like 15 Lego blocks, now they can build some things, but it's not that exciting still. But if you give them the whole entire pack of Legos, unlimited amount of Legos, They can throw, catch, jump, you know, they can build different experiences. And so I, I think that's maybe a better visual than over a podcast. But the idea is that if you build a lot of learning blocks and a lot of things to do, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, that's the way that you actually have this really enjoyable experience. Mm. For most sedentary behavior and physical activity researchers, collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project, especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time. 
causes unnecessary stress and hassle and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data, introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian Sense Motion is a cutting edge next generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data, a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw 3-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is s-e-n-s.fibian.com. Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. And, and how big part of this is kind of motor competence fitness that you you know and you're able to do these things uh what do you what do you mean by that like like some people think that when you just teach kids with like enough motor skills that they can do many things they can perform different kind of things and and use mm. these these skills how how important in pe you see that they they just learn enough motor skills well i think that's part of the puzzle i think that's um part of learning motor skills is really important. So we need to teach those, but also we need to teach those skills that will be relevant to those students in their day-to-day lives. And we need to teach a, a variety of motor skills. And it can't be based on what the teacher likes. So for me, if I was able to only teach the things that I like, My classes would be doing a lot of wrestling and combative sports and soccer and basketball, and I would skip dance altogether. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't teach dance because I'm not good at dance and I feel uncomfortable teaching dance, but I still teach it because I know that certain students are going to enjoy it. And that's where this like student-centered pedagogy comes in. And there's a lot of good work on student-centered pedagogies in, in the physical education research Um, that ha- that has come out in the last 10-15 years, and it's focused on listening to students over time, talking to students, reacting to students, and you know asking them, negotiating the curriculum with them to figure out what do they want to do, what do they want to learn. You know, I I worked with a first year student in in a um, inner city neighborhood in Los Angeles. And the school, you know, was a a low income school. He had a really hard time in his first year getting to, you know, getting comfortable with teaching. And he called me and he's like, Hey, you know, we learned all these schools. He was in a, an affluent school during his student teaching experience. And he learned all these games and skills And he was really struggling teaching in this inner city school. And I said, well, what are you teaching? He's like, well, I'm going through this ultimate Frisbee unit, which is, you know, is totally fine to do in a middle school, 
and it was the right content. It was in the California content standards that he was going to teach from. But I asked him, I said, do you ever see your kids playing ultimate Frisbee? Like, do they throw Frisbees around? He's like, no. I'm like, do you think that's meaningful for them? Do you think that in high school, they are going to go out and play Frisbee? Because it's not anywhere near, like, nobody does that in their community. Does it bring them Mm -hmm. value or social capital to be good as a Frisbee player? He's like, no. I'm like, well, then we need to also talk to them and figure out what they want to do. So he did a questionnaire for students, what they wanted to do. And a lot of the students wanted to try volleyball. They've never played volleyball and they have all these volleyball courts outside. And so he switched his unit to be more student centered that way. And I think that's the tough part about being a PE teacher, because you also need to teach things that you think that they don't know, but they might like, like, I can't just not teach certain things because the kids don't like it. If we did that, then we probably wouldn't get very far. So it needs to strike a balance of teaching activities, building experiences that they have positive learning experiences throughout their childhood in the hopes that they don't hate physical activity when they get out of school or they don't, you know, target physical activity and go, that's something that I hate because that's not going to be good for their lifetime, lifetime learning and lifetime physical activity. Mm, Yeah. So, so you mentioned meaningful experiences, enjoyment and fun. And we actually had in, in another episode, we had, we had Dr. Greg Dreyer and he was saying that PE does not need to be fun, that mathematics in school is not fun, that, that, that maybe we put too much emphasis that it would be fun. What's your your take on this maybe a little bit controversial statement from Craig? Well, I think I think where PE is situated is a marginalized subject. Math is not a marginalized subject. Math is something that you have to do. There's no like there's no getting out of math until you are like 16 or 18 in school. Um, you know, I think fun, this is um, one of the professors at George Mason, Tony DiGregorio, used to say that, you know, fun is a vehicle of learning. And boring math, and math has their own issues. And I, and I love that math is the one that is always brought up because I bring up math. And, you know, you look at math and look at how many people hate math. I hate math. Like, I do not like it. I did not do well. Like during my, you know, teenage years when I was going through these advanced math classes that I wanted to drop, like I would literally throw my book across my across my room at my house and my mom's like, "You need to calm down." And like I really really like dislike it. I don't get it. But I wonder if I had teachers who made math fun made math meaningful, made it resonate with my life and made it connect more than just, you know, F equals X plus three to the third power. Solve this. What does that mean? What What's the point of that? And I think we get stuck as PE teachers, as teacher educators, 
and sometimes forgetting to explain the why. Why is this important? And if you look at you know, theory, plan, behavior, or something like that, like you got to have some sort of enjoyment or some sort of positive attitude toward what you're doing, not just to get through math. And for all the people who love PE and for all the people who love math, there are a lot of people who, who hate those subjects. And, and I think that's where you kind of get to it where, you know, you, you have to find that balance of making it enjoyable because if you look at the physical activities that you like to do, I'm sure that if you, if you do martial arts, it's something that you enjoy at some level, you have a passion for, you have the ability and the means to get there and you have some sort of, you know, social support or pressure or whatever to get you to that door to go into that training session. Hmm. It, the things that you don't like, we're not even talking about because you don't, you don't enjoy doing them. Like I don't really enjoy dancing. So when I am thinking about what type of physical activity do I want to do? I'm not going to go to a Zumba class, but I'm not, it's not even on my mind because it doesn't, you know, I don't have an, a positive attitude towards it. And for math, like I get by with what I get by. It's probably some, you know, base level of understanding that I have because I went to math classes for 13, 14 years. So I have a basic level of understanding, but I think fun, enjoyment, I mean, that's a part of life. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think you already mentioned quite many things of this, that what are meaningful experiences, but maybe you can say them together that how do you see where does the meaningful experience come from? What are the constituents? So, and I know uh, Nora has uh, podcasts and blog and all this stuff on meaningful PE and, um, you know, Tim Fletcher, if, if you haven't, I think Tim Fletcher has been on there. Uh, I think those, those people know a lot more about meaningful PE. I've had Tim and Stephanie Benny on my podcast um, so I won't speak to this as any sort of expert, but, you know, I look at meaningful PE as something that, you know, explains the why, right? Explains why we are teaching what we're teaching. Um, it's something that students have some control over, you know, connecting with that activity or guiding that activity to where they want to go. And I think, you know, not necessarily in that space of meaningful PE, if we like have to categorize these, but I find informal sport really, really interesting. And Justin O'Connor down at Monash University has done a lot of work on this. He's come on our podcast as well. And when I talk to him, and I don't, I haven't done any research in this area, but I just love talking to him and hearing his opinions about this idea of having these informal sport places, not. I have to go into practice every Tuesday, Thursday, or I don't play Saturday. It's the things that we do as adults. For me, it's jujitsu. Mm -hmm. It's informal for me because if my wife says that we're going to go do something else on Saturday morning, we're going to do a hike. I'm not going to go to jujitsu practice, but if I don't have anything going on Tuesday night, I can go there. 
And that's the same thing for informal, you know, bicycle groups or informal running groups. And if you think about how adults, not every adult, but how most adults participate in physical activity, it's through this informal structure. It's walking, it's hiking, it's, oh, it's Saturday, it's a really nice day, I'm going to take my bike out and go for a bike ride. Or, hey, a bunch of my friends called me up and said, we're going to get together and play a neighborhood pickup basketball game. And so I think that there's so much, and I think it overlaps with meaningful PE or meaningful physical activity. It's because you have a choice in doing it. I think those are the things that we kind of forget and we could 100% bring back into PE. And one of my colleagues, he's an elementary school teacher, Nate Babcock um, in California. He runs an amazing elementary school program and he has these learning, I think he calls them learning communities. And when they start this unit, he explains that here are the rules. You can make any game you want. You can play a game you already know. So maybe it's basketball or maybe it's creating another game. But once you pick that area, you have to stay in that area and for you know the next two lessons or three lessons. And you have to make the rules. You have to follow the rules. Um, if somebody you know is in conflict or wants to change the game in the middle, they need to work that out. And they need to figure out how to do that themselves. And so I think that there's so much that, that can be taken from informal sports to meaningful PE. And if it's done right, it can be put into, um, into a really good PE program. Yeah, I, I really like what you were saying. It, it it makes all the sense with informal sports. And I was doing earlier like team sports. I was playing Finnish baseball and then moved to individual sport, mainly in, in shape of martial arts and some trail running. And and in team sports, you need to go training every day because it's kind of uh, also the team effect in a way. And then when I moved to individual sport, I didn't need to go every day. I pretty much every day went. But mentally, it was a big difference that I had the I had the choice, even though 99% of the time I cho- choose to go uh, every day. But I think it was it was important. So I, I really like what you what you said. And and do you see this as an important part of of teaching like lifelong movers or lifelong participation? Well, I think that that's exactly when you talk about what should we be teaching in PE is all of us talk about making lifetime movers. And I think that's one of the issues that PE has is we don't actually have a definition of physical education because some countries, some individuals will say, well, it's development of physical literacy and other people like, you know, raise up their hands and say it, you know, say, stop talking about physical literacy. That's not what PE is about. And other people will say that it's, you know, moderate to vigorous physical activity and so on and so forth. But I think where we all kind of can come into an agreement as much as a bunch of PE teachers can agree on something, it's about making, you know, providing opportunities or developing lifetime movers, people who enjoy physical activity. But then when we teach, 
we're not necessarily looking at providing that those tools for them to make their own decisions, to develop their own programs, to really like figure out meaning in what they do and having choice. And one of the one of the struggles I have is in PE in a rigid PE format. So let's say you go all the way through your last year in high school in PE up until like May of that year, your high school senior year, you're forced to do something you don't like to do. So you're telling a 17 year old in May that you have to play flag football or you have to do this strength and conditioning thing, or you have to do this other thing because that's a, in a top down teacher directed program. Then they enter university in August and they're still you know, 17 or 18. So that's only a few months away. And now they walk onto a university campus and they have a rock climbing wall. They have Zumba classes, have yoga classes. They have intramural leagues. They can play all of these things. And that choice suddenly is there. And so I think that, you know, what we could do is break out this kind of choice based curriculum. And I know that there are, there are people that do this, um, you know, they provide different choices and students get to choose what they want to do and develop. And I think when it all comes down to it, it's how do we teach lifetime physical activity? Because for all those people who say that, you know, PE isn't about physical activity, you know, they want to talk about some sort of different lens to it, right? PE is about making lifetime physical activity movers. And that's, that's what I think. And so we need to do a better job in explaining why, trying to get to students because they're going through a tough time, like figuring out how to move in front of your peers when you're 12 to 18 years old, when you're gaining that confidence in who you are, what your body feels like, looks like when it moves. And now you have to do it in front of other people. It's a really challenging time. And it's not I mean, it's not an easy job. I think working with elite athletes or college athletes and strength and conditioning is very different because all of those students want to be there. They're like, mm-hmm. the, you know, they're, they're the paragon of health. Like they're the best like athletes that they can be. And you're trying to just like tune them up to be even better. Whereas you know, being a PE teacher, you you have students who just are going through a lot of tough times in their life and they don't want to be physically active. They don't want to move because they have bigger, bigger things to do. So mm. I think as a PE teacher, it's so much, you know, so important to create this caring environment and to, you know, provide a supportive environment for them. Mm. So it's it's a challenging task for PE teachers. So what should the educators be studying? Is it exercise physiology, psychology? How how can they get to this task? What are the best things to study for them? Well, I think I think that depends on who you ask. If you ask me, I don't think we need to study more exercise physiology or psychology courses. I think, you know, in a country like where you're at, if you become a PE teacher in Finland, you start taking pedagogy courses in your first year in in college. You end up with a master's degree. You have five years where you're taking 
field experience, pedagogy courses, all the stuff. But the, I think the U.S. system has some really great things, but we spend so much time in, you know, we have two years in general education. And then we have two years in your specialization, which a lot of that is one year in kinesiology, where we are taking anatomy, physiology, exercise psychology, exercise physiology, you know, motor development, motor learning, um, you know, exercise and fitness health promotion. And then when you really think about it, we end up with like three to four really solid pedagogy courses and a bunch of activity courses, depending on what the university has done. They are either individual activity courses or what we do in Mason, we combine them into field and invasion games, net and target games, um, you know, fitness and strength and conditioning stuff that we are actually teaching pedagogy in. But I think that's, that's the issue is we expect so much from our teachers, but we only gave them three to seven very specific PE classes. And we expect them to do, you know, what a, you know, careers worth of a person who's writing those, those standards. So I, I don't think that we should go in the way of pushing more exercise physiology or exercise science. I think we need to teach more physical activity, like uh, pedagogy courses. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Through Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.